So Holy Spirit, we ask that through your power you would help us to understand the words of Scripture and how they apply to our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week I went on a trip with a couple of guys who are here on staff and one night we made dinner and we decided that for dessert we were going to make creme brulee, which is kind of embarrassing to admit because it was a guy's trip and that's not exactly a very manly dessert, but there it is. But we made up for it because we didn't have one of those little tools that you needed to brulee the creme. But fortunately, at the place we were staying, there was a blowtorch. So we used that instead. That is a manly way to make creme brulee. Now, admittedly, it probably lacked a little bit of common sense. I mean, that could have gone very badly, don't you think? But it was a lot of fun. And that is, the, that is the main point that I want to make for the sermon today. What if instead of following common sense, at least as our culture defines common sense, what if we follow Jesus instead? Because here's the thing. Sometimes Jesus will ask us to do things that don't make common sense according to our culture, but that lead to a bigger, richer, better life. Sort of like making creme brulee with a blowtorch, which is just a lot of fun. You should try it at home. Our culture prizes common sense. But there's some problems with common sense, at least as our culture defines it. For one thing, common sense is, well, in a word, common, ordinary, cliché. And if what you want is a common, ordinary, cliché kind of life, well then, common sense will get you there. But if you want a lot of joy, adventure, meaning, more than enough with plenty left over, if you want extraordinary, you're going to have to go beyond the ordinary common sense. Second problem with common sense, according to our culture anyways, is it doesn't always even make sense. For instance, one of our culture's platitudes is, you've got to do what's right for you. Right? You hear it all the time. You've got to do what's right for you. Now, there's some truth in that. We need to do self-care, blah, 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 blah. But we take it too far. And our, we approach our spouses and our friends and even kids as vehicles to get our needs met rather than showing them the biblical kind of love that we talked about a couple weeks ago where we serve others to empower them to become all they were created to be. We don't do that. And as a result of all of our you got to do what's right for you, we got a 51% divorce rate, a lot of lonely people, kids who don't feel their parents love them, and on and on and on. How's that one working for us? That makes sense. Another sort of common sense idea in our culture is work real hard, make lots of money so that you can be financially secure. But it doesn't work. The result is we get more obsessed with money than ever. Heard a man the other day say, you want to hear the biggest joke ever? That you work real hard and get lots of money so you'll be financially secure. But it doesn't work. Because all you do then is go into wealth protection and wealth management. And you become more obsessed with money than you ever were before. It's the biggest joke in the world, he said, but I can't laugh because I'm in the middle of it. Our common sense doesn't always make a lot of sense and it leads to a common, ordinary kind of life. But when we do things Jesus' way, even if they don't make sense at first to us, according to our culture, it leads to greater joy. If we actually serve our spouses the way that Scripture tells us to do, we end up with great marriages, which makes everybody happy. If we give money away, we actually end up more financially secure. We feel less worried about money. It's a paradox, but it works. 
If we serve, we find more joy. One of our elders a few weeks ago donated a bunch of stuff to the Jubilee Reach Center. And she decided that she wasn't going to take a tax return because she just wanted to give and get nothing back. You know, sort of like Jesus says to do. So when the man who took her stuff said, hold on, wait, wait for your receipt, she said, no, no tax receipt. I just want to give it. Well, he got this big smile on his face and he walked over and he gave her this big hug. So she said, well, I didn't reach my goal. I got a hug in return. Plus, now I don't have to remember where I put that stupid piece of paper when it comes tax time. She told this to a group of people, several of whom were financial advisors and CPAs. The cringe was visible on their face. <laughs> now, just to be clear, I am not, I'm not saying that we should throw all caution to the wind and, you know, go do something stupid for Jesus. I'm not saying that. Someone sent me a picture a while back. The title of the picture was, Why Kids Need Parents. Sort of makes the point, don't you think? I'm not talking about taking risk for risk's sake, although that does look like just a lot of fun, doesn't it? It would be fun once, anyway. But there will be times Jesus asks us to do things that don't make sense to our culture, but they make all the sense in the world if you realize Jesus is the one who designed us. He knows what will make us thrive, and what he asks us to do will lead to abundance and joy which is what we see in the story that we just read today about how Jesus feeds a crowd of people with just a few loaves and with a few fishes. Now, in the story, when the disciples see how large the crowd is, they respond with the voice of common sense. They say to Jesus, send them away so they can get something to eat. I love that. Send them away. Ministry would be great, Jesus, except for the people. Send them away. Their common sense says this crowd is a problem. It's an interruption to our plans, an interruption to our agenda. Sort of how we view interruptions. But Jesus sees it as an opportunity for a miracle. Interruptions are just opportunities for a miracle. Not common sense. So he, so he goes on to it and he says to them, to the disciples, no, 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 you give them something to eat. <laughs> right. This is a nightmare, Right. 5,000 hungry people, and you got to feed them. Not practical. But here's the truth. In the Bible, Jesus gives us many commands that don't seem practical. Give at least 10% of your income away. Forgive your enemies. Make Jesus top priority more than career or anything else. Impractical, bad time management, poor career planning. Which is kind of how the disciples respond. They say, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. In the Gospel of John's version of this story, the disciple Andrew then adds on to that, what are these amongst so many? Andrew was an accountant, right? It doesn't work, right? They basically, they roll their eyes at Jesus. Oh, here he goes again. There he is, getting all spiritual on us, Andrew. He does this all the time. Who does he think he is? God? Ever do that? What do you mean, Jesus, that I should make it a higher priority that my kids know Jesus than that they get into a good college? What does that possibly have to do with them having a good life? What do you mean, forgive that person? No, 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 no. I'd much rather hang on to the anger and bitterness until I get old and angry and bitter. Much better plan. In my former church, we were having a planning session one time, and we started to dream really big, talked about starting an empowerment center for the poor, as we've done here in this church, and talked about revival and all these big plans. Then, then some guy in the group, he just popped up and he said, well, you know, all of this sounds really nice, pie in the sky and all that, but in the real world, pastor, it's not very practical. Oh, far out. I mean, send that comment to scottdudley at idongiverip.com, because 
we are not supposed to follow real life. We're supposed to transform real life. And if you want extraordinary, you're going to have to go beyond the ordinary, practical, common sense. You see, the problem with common sense is it focuses us on what we don't have. That's what the disciples are focused on. We don't have enough food. And that then defines the limits of our vision and the limits of our life. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough training. Or we compare ourselves to other people. If I had so-and-so's wealth, well, then something amazing could happen. Or if I had that set of skills, or if I were good-looking, or if I were this, or if I were that. Here's the thing. On Judgment Day, Jesus is not going to ask you why you weren't more like so-and-so. He's going to ask you why you weren't more like you. And Jesus doesn't care about what we don't have. He's interested in what he can do with what we do have. I know of a man who became a paraplegic in a car accident. And out of that, after kind of some recovery, he he decided to start a business that would help other disabled people learn how to function in life and how to make a living so that they were independent. And companies like Microsoft and Starbucks have hired him to train some of their disabled people. Now, Now, common sense would say he didn't have... A lot. He was a paraplegic, right? But, but, but Jesus took what he did have and used it to do amazing things. He's not interested in what we don't have. He's interested in what he can do with what we do have. Which is why Jesus then says to the disciples, bring them here. And he's referring to the bread and the fish. But it applies to all of us. Bring, bring them here. Bring what here? Bring everything we have to Jesus. And then watch how he multiplies it and uses it for amazing things. For instance, what if we bring our careers to Jesus? What if instead of going to work just to earn money and get a promotion, what if we also said every morning, Jesus, what do you want to do in this office today and how can I be part of your rescue mission? Show me today. What if we started to do things like really invest in our coworkers, get into their lives to see how we can make an eternal difference? What if we changed the way we did performance reviews on the job so that they really were empowering employees to become all that they were created to be? What if we located new businesses in impoverished areas or spent a portion of our profits trying to, uh, giving, giving a first job to at-risk youth to give them some job skills? What if we said there's more to business than the bottom line and started asking Jesus this question? What is your redemptive purpose for my career, Jesus? Another thing we could bring to Jesus and see what he could do with it is our parenting. What if instead of drinking the Kool-Aid of this culture that says that the most important thing is packing our kids' resumes with extracurricular activities, pressuring them to succeed academically so that they can get into a good school, on and on. Not that those things don't matter. They do. I want my kids to do well in school. My kids are all in sports. But those are not the most important thing. And what if we sacrificed some of the time we spend on those things to make sure our kids get the three things that research says leads to lasting joy? One, deep connection to God. Two, meaningful relationships with others. Three, purpose in life by being part of God's rescue mission. And what if we helped our kids find their unique skills? Not what our culture says they have to have. If it's school, great. If it's something else, great. Help them learn how to use those to make a difference. What if we parented for eternity, not for the resume? Another thing, what if we brought our money to Jesus and said, I will give at least 10% as the Bible says to do. I'll give at least that. You know what happens? Two things. We see God provide, which gives us deep security, and we discover we can be happy on less than we thought we could. What if we downsized our cars, our clothes, our furniture? No more remodels. 
so that we're not always living on the financial edge. You know what you would discover? That living below your means is so liberating, you're never going to go back to the edge again. There's a college professor named Tony Campolo. He tells a story about being at a church one day where there was a guest preacher who was a missionary from Africa. And he said the missionary just laid it on thick, you know, took up an offering and said, will you give over and above the 10% you should be giving to your church? Will you also give money for, that you've been saving for yourself to help starving kids in Africa? Just laid it on thick. Well, at the time, Tony said he'd been saving for a new car because he thought that as the chair of the sociology department, he should drive something a little better than a 22-year-old Plymouth. But he said that under the spell of the Spirit, I wrote a check for everything I'd saved up for that car and turned it in. He said, it's the last time I took a checkbook to church. <laughs> then the missionary said, well, now we're going to take pledges. So Tony filled out a pledge card that said he would give everything he made on speaking engagements to this missionary as long as his present car lasted, which he thought would not be very long. I mean, the engine was dying, the tires were bald, it was a wreck. He said it was so bad that he'd have students say to him, my girlfriend's giving me a hard time, and, and I, but I don't know how to get out of the relationship. And he'd say, here, take her out in my car, that'll help. <laughs> so he said, I'll give as long as my car lasts. He said, that stupid car would not die. He said it just wouldn't die. A year later, he was still driving it. And he had to go to a speaking gig at a church 120 miles away. And he thought, this will surely do it in, 120 miles. Well, sure enough, when he got there, he saw that one of the tires was flat. So he thought, finally, right? Because you don't replace tires on a car that's not worth 200 bucks. So he thought, when the meeting's over, I'll call the tow truck. I will be rid of this car and my obligation to give to this missionary. But while he was preaching, one of the deacons from that church noticed the flat tire, called the mechanic, and had it fixed. <laughs> so when Tony got out of the meeting, the deacon was standing there with this big smile on his face and said, what do you think? And Tony said, why don't you mind your own business? <laughs> Car kept going and going and going. He said he discovered, though, out of that two things. First, that God provided for his needs, which helped him, which eased his fears about money. And second, he knew the happiness of a new car doesn't last long, but the joy he felt from living below his means, the freedom in that, would last forever. Not common sense, but it works. One more thing we could bring to Jesus, our decisions. What if, you know, yeah, sure, we do the pro-con list like you do when you're making a decision. Sure, 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 do it. But what if, more importantly, we submitted our decisions to God and said, what do you want me to do? Well, how do I figure that out? Four things. What does Scripture say? You do not need a voice from heaven to tell you to do things like care for the poor, give some of your money away, love your spouse in a sacrificial way. If we just started doing what's in Scripture, that's radical enough. What does Scripture say? Do those things. Second, listen to the nudges we get in prayer and follow up on them. A lot of times I think we feel Jesus is nudging us to do something, but we dismiss it right away because it doesn't make, quote, common sense. Third, ask the right people to pray for us. Not just anybody, but mature Christians who won't just give you common sense answers, but can also give you spiritual answers. And if you don't know anyone like that, ask an elder or a pastor to help you find someone. And then fourth, take a leap. Whenever we do something that goes against common sense, whether it's something spelled out in Scripture or something Jesus nudges us to do, it's going to feel scary. But if we take the leap, we will see that he is there. 
and it will bring life and abundance and joy. Maybe start with smaller steps. Maybe just start by giving some of your money away. Maybe it's a short-term mission trip. Maybe it's some smaller act of service. But on all of these things, what if, what if, what if we start doing a few things that Jesus asks us to do that maybe don't make sense to our culture, but you know what they're going to lead to? You know what they're going to lead to? A life of joy, adventure, meaning, purpose, more than enough with plenty left over. How does this story in the Bible end? Everyone has their fill, and there are baskets of food left over. Recently read a testimony from a woman named Lisa, who along with her husband had a typical Christian suburban life, nice job, nice house, nice car, all the rest. But she said, no matter what I did, I rarely felt close to God. So she started praying about that. Well, then, a little while later, she was diagnosed with a heart defect that caused racing heartbeat, dizziness, fainting, all kinds of stuff. And even though there was only a small chance that she would die from this thing, it was sort of a wake-up call to her. So she decided she did not want to waste whatever time she had left. So she and her husband started to pray, Jesus, what do you want us to do with our lives? Well, as they did that, they read the Bible with new eyes. And saw that over and over again, God calls us to care for the poor, the marginalized, and the outcast. But Lisa said whenever she felt Jesus nudging her in that direction, she'd have a list of reasons. She said, but Jesus, I have this heart defect. But Jesus, you didn't have a family that was depending on you. But Jesus, this just isn't practical. As I've said before, the only thing that stands between us and freedom is that one phrase. Yeah, Jesus, but. Right? So as I've said before, the key question here is, how big is your but? Because that's what's between you and freedom, your but, right? So then one day, one of Lisa's mentors, who'd been praying for her, pointed her to Isaiah 58, which is all about justice for the poor. And Lisa said as she was reading it, the Holy Spirit just, in her words, quote, rocked everything this American Christian thought about life. And I suddenly began to see suffering as a beautiful way of joining in Christ's suffering on the cross. And I wanted it. Well, she and her husband sensed God calling their family to move to the inner city in order to be part of Jesus' rescue mission there by, by leading Bible studies in their homes, serving their neighbors however they could, helping folks develop tools to get them out of poverty, but not do it from afar, but just as God came to us in Jesus, go themselves. So they moved to the inner city. She said, at first I struggled because I'd lived in the suburbs all my life. I also worried that our kids wouldn't be safe. But my husband and I decided we could look at safety two ways, physical or spiritual. Here in the city, our kids are developing faith muscles they never had to before. Maybe we're naive, but we trust God to protect them. We actually feel their souls are safer here, seeing God in the eyes of the poor, than in our old neighborhood. And we have more joy, less fear, less worry than we've ever had. Then she goes on to say, but you know what? You don't have to move to the inner city to be obedient to God. If you want to be radical for Christ in the suburbs, tell your neighbors, I'm content with the house I have. I don't need any more. That's a crazy thought in our upwardly mobile culture. And to me, that's a stand for justice because what you're really saying is, I'll be content with what I have. I'm going to stop consuming so much. And there is a deep joy that comes from serving others and from knowing you're in the exact spot God wants you to be. Now, there's a family that's not making any sense at all. According to our culture, you've got to be safe comfortable? What about your kids? What about your health condition? Instead, she prayed, 
She prayed, she listened to scripture, and she listened to mature Christians in her life who could help guide her and give her spiritual direction. And the result is joy and meaning and purpose for her whole family. Think of the lessons about faith and courage and character that she and her husband are giving to their kids. Now that's her story. Yours is going to be different. But Jesus wants you to have a story too. A story that ends in abundance and joy, just like the story we read in the scripture. You know, in the Gospel of John, it says that the food was provided by this little boy who brought the food to Jesus. Let me ask a question. Why do you think Jesus used this kid's lunch to feed all of those people rather than just conjure the food out of thin air? As speaker Gary Haugen puts it, it's because he wanted to give a little boy a really cool day. Right, That boy got to go home that day and say, Mom, 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 the greatest thing happened. Guess what Jesus did with my lunch? Right? And he wants to give you a story like that too. So where might Jesus be asking you to do something that doesn't make sense according to our culture, but makes sense if you realize it's the God of the universe asking you to do it? Maybe it's how you serve your spouse or what you do with your time or your money or your priorities or your parenting. What's he asking you to do? Because here's the thing, we follow a God who doesn't always make sense according to our culture standards. A God who zigs when we zag. The God who leaves the 99 sheep behind to go find the one lost one. Do a cost-benefit analysis on that, why don't you? It doesn't pencil. This is the God who throws a party for a prodigal son when he returns. Not practical. This is the God who himself died for sinners like you and for sinners like me. Not practical in the least not practical in the least, and yet, and yet, it is the way of life and joy and purpose and abundance. So here's your assignment this week. Go do something that makes no sense at all, except for the fact that Jesus has asked you to do it. The only thing you're going to lose is the ordinary, and what you're going to gain is something extraordinary. More than enough with plenty left over. So Jesus, help us not to just blow off the ways you call us to do things because we think they don't make sense. Help us to discern deeply if it is your voice, if it does line up with Scripture, and then, Lord, help us to jump. And then, Lord, we will give you all the glory and all the praise for all the results. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.